We're uh, going to continue our, our series into the fruit of the Spirit, Spirit's work in helping us to grow more like Jesus. And uh, if you noticed, there are a lot of scriptures this morning, um, like last week, and uh, you know, I kind of look at, looked at that even as I was putting it together, and it's like, man, that's a lot of scriptures. That's going to take up a lot of space in the bulletin and everything else, and that's going to be a lot for us to turn to. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, you know, you don't come to hear me, right? You come to hear God's word. So, amen? So that's, uh, so that's why that scripture is there. When you become a Christian, God gives you his Holy Spirit, and he begins to change you. The Holy Spirit works in our lives, our character changes. It begins to change our our attitudes of of selfishness and and cruelty and and rebellion and anger and spite and and all of those other things. But just like the regular fruit, just like regular fruit on on a tree or in a garden, doesn't happen all at once. And it's progressive. We've talked about that several times. Over time, you find yourself growing more like Jesus as the Spirit develops, develops this beautiful fruit in your life. Because of this, we now, we now progress in, in growing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Everything in this list reflects the character of God and goodness is one that relates directly to morality. So far, we've looked at love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. Today, we come to the fruit of goodness. So let's read our scripture passage together again this morning and uh, see what God's Word says to us. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26. Open your Bibles to that. If you don't have one, there should be a pew Bible right in front of you. It's on 1239 of the pew Bible. So Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So a, a quick recap of what we've looked at so far. The inward fruit, we, we looked at 
uh, the inward fruit. First, we looked at the fruit of love. And this, this has, love has to do with your, your heart attitude. Then we looked at the fruit of joy, and this has to do with your emotional attitude. Next was the fruit of peace. Peace is an attitude of the mind. Those first three are the inward fruit that people see in us. Then we looked at the manward fruit. A few weeks ago, we started the second cluster, how we walk and step with, in the Spirit toward others. We looked at patience, how we react to others. Last week was kindness. Kindness has to do with your behavior toward people. This week is goodness. Kindness and goodness are, are closely related, but the emphasis is slightly, slightly different. So let's take a closer look at kindness this morning. So what is it? What is goodness? We use that word, the word good, to describe all sorts of things, don't we? How are you feeling today? Good. How was that movie? Oh, it's good. How was that, that slice of key lime pie at Thanksgiving? Oh, that was really good, right? Amen? Right? God, God uses the word good to describe the, the days of creation too, right? The end of each day, God overlooked everything that he had created and saw that it was good, right? In fact, at the end, at the end of the sixth and final day of creation, we're told God said, saw that all that he made, and he said it was very good. But those are all examples referring to things. We also use the word good to describe uh, people. We say, well, he's a good kid, or well, she's a, she's a good woman. He's a good man, right? When we use the word good with people, we're referring both to their behavior and their character. Right? And that's how the that's the way the Bible uses the word too. The Greek word translated goodness is ago agathosun. Agathosun. Everyone say that word. Yeah, hey, I had to say it, you might as well say it too, right? So it's it's defined as uprightness of heart and life. Uprightness of heart and life. And it's it's closely associated with righteousness. A moral and spiritual excellence that is known by its sweetness and active kindness. It's a matter of integrity and righteous living where you do the right thing simply because it's the right thing to do. But it's, it's not simply who you are, but what you do and, and how you act. How it causes you to live toward others. Paul shows this in Romans 5.7. It says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, right? A Christian can be morally upright, but still not manifest goodness. True. You can have moral uprightness and still not manifest goodness. He may be admired and respected for his high moral standards, he might have a friend who would risk his life for him, but rarely. But the one who also has goodness is much more likely to have a, a, self, a self-sacrificial friend who would be willing to die for them because they're good. See, in many ways, it's similar to, to kindness. I mentioned that. Both have to do with 
graciousness and, and generosity toward others. But the emphasis is different. Kindness has to do with gracious acts toward others flowing from a heart of compassion, right? A heart of compassion. We see somebody in a, in a state and, and we have compassion for them and so we want to do something kind to them or for them. Goodness, goodness has to do with an inward righteousness, an inward righteousness that displays itself. It displays itself with outward works. It's something that, that's deep within that can't help but, but do good works, good things. It's a beautiful combination of both purity and generosity. So the fruit of goodness has to do with both being good and doing good. Good deeds that flow from a good heart. If you do good, but not from a good heart, it's not the fruit of goodness. And if you don't do good, well, you may not have a good heart to begin with. And that's because goodness begins in the heart. Just as, as a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit, we're the same. Your work flows from your heart, right? Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Whatever's in your heart, that's what's going to come out. Full of evil, then guess what? Don't be surprised if you do and say evil things. You cannot bear the fruit of goodness unless God first purifies your heart, though, right? Because we all have an evil heart. We'll talk about that in a little bit. You will grow in goodness as, as you allow the Spirit to continue to purify your heart. That leads to our next, next point. What does the Bible tell us about goodness and God? Goodness and God. Well, the first thing is God is good all the time. Amen? Amen? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is what? Good. good, right. The Bible is full of verses, full of verses that speak to his righteous and upright heart. I mean, we could spend the rest of our time together just going through all of the verses that speak of the righteousness and the holiness and the goodness of God, right? We won't do that, but, but here's a few. Psalm 25.8, good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 92.15, the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Psalm 119.137, righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. God's goodness is rooted in his righteousness. It's rooted in his righteousness. The word righteous means to be virtuous, honorable, morally right. What does it mean that God is righteous? God is just in all that he does. God is upright in all of his ways. God operates with honesty. God always does the right thing that is appropriate for the moment. He never does wrong. Everything he does is right. It's not something that God does. It's something that God is. He can't help but be that. He is holy. He is righteousness. And so he can't help but do righteous things. To put it in another way, 
Righteousness is part of God's character. It's part of his character. It's part of who he is. 1 John 1.5 tells us, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Not even a hint. Not even a hint. Light is a symbol of all that is good and true and pure. God says, God, or John says, God is all good, and there is nothing in him that is not good. He is morally and ethically upright. There is no darkness in him at all. He has no secret agenda. No secret agenda. Psalm 145, 117. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. He is righteous in all his ways and kind in all of his works. He's not good in comparison to something or someone else. See, we do that. We do that. We go, well, I'm pretty good compared to so-and-so, right? But compared to so-and-so, I'm a pretty good person, man. I go to church like almost every Sunday. I'm, you know, compared to most people, I'm, I'm really good. So we, have a, we have a sliding scale, too, of good versus bad, right? You know, we have that sliding scale, and we go, well, you know, if, if, if this is good and this is bad, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm somewhere right here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm more than 50%. I'm like 75%, right? You know, we have that sliding scale. God is not on the scale. He's not on the scale. You know, sometimes people, people say, well, you know, if you use that scale and, you know, this is evil and, and the ceiling is good, you know, God is way up there and, and we're way down here. No. God is not even on the scale. God is is the scale. He is the scale. He is the definition and the benchmark of what is good. Right? Everything is found in, 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 he is the basis of all things. Right? You can't compare him to anything else. If you look up the definition of good, it should just say God. God. It should just be a picture of him. God. Right? That's what we should see. That's the truth of Romans 3.23, really. Really, if you think about it, that's the truth of Romans 3.23. For all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. Right? None of us can even achieve even anything even close to Him. He is not driven by the sinful nature that we are. Right? He doesn't have anger or, or bitterness or, or envy or, or jealousy. He is righteous. He is morally right. And his heart is right. He, he doesn't just hold his righteousness over us. He wants us to be the same, right? He wants us to be the same. He doesn't just say, well, I am holy and you'll never achieve that. What does he say? Leviticus 11.44. What does he say? Be holy, for I am holy. He wants us to be the same. Not because he wants us to, to try, his righteous, try to match his righteousness and fail so they can go, see, you're not as good as me. Because he knows that's what's best for us. He knows that's what's best for us, to be holy like him, to abstain from sin. He knows that's, that's really what's best for our lives. He genuinely wants 
what's good for us. And he sweetly and he tenderly leads us to that life, right? Sometimes he can be severe toward us. Sometimes he can punish us. But think about how gentle he, he leads you sometimes. Now, sometimes he's got to smack us with that two-by-four because what? We deserve it, and that's what we need. But even then, because he loves us, he's, what good parent would let, would let their child run out into the road? Right? If you saw the danger, you would do everything you could to stop them. That meant running after them and grabbing, grabbing them by the arm. If that meant running and then tackling them to keep them out of the road, that's what you would do. That's what God does. That's what makes him good. One of the most basic things you can say about God is that God is good all the time. Amen. God is good and God does good. Because he is good, everything he does is good. Psalm 119.68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes, says. We see God's goodness displayed in his creation. We talked about that. In the beginning, God created, and it was good. Six times during that, he, he evaluated and said everything was good, and in the end, everything was very good. It's his creation. It was perfect until man and sin messed it up, right? But he created it good. Acts 14, 17. Oh. Acts 14, 17. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satis satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even his, his creation, he is good to his people. All his goodness is shown in his actions toward people. Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Amen. Amen. James, James 1.17 James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from Him. Because God is good, everything He does is good. And that includes all of His plans. We never have to worry about His motives, right? Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. We can have confidence in that verse because God is good. That's how we can have confidence in that verse. I know the plans I have for you, not for evil, for good for you give you a future and a hope. We can have confidence because God is good. We know everything that he does is good. It has a purpose. His actions toward us come from a pure, upright heart, full of love for us. 
Even his judgment against sin is part of his goodness. Even his judgments against sin is part of his goodness. Psalm 33, 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. I mean, think about it. A judge that lets lawbreakers get away with their crime is not a good judge, right? A good judge, a righteous judge, must judge sin and lawbreakers. I mean, you think about it. If we, if we see something on the news and we hear about a judge overseeing a case, somebody does a heinous crime, even right now, right, in, in a lot of jurisdictions, there's just no bail and, and some of these activist judges who will just let people out, right, because they were misunderstood or whatever, right? And we look at that and we go, how could they let them go? They deserve to be punished, they deserve to be punished. That is not a good judge, right? That's what we say. He is a good and righteous judge. He must judge sin and lawbreakers. Thanks be to God, his moral uprightness combines with his kindness, and he shows us goodness. God's goodness was never more on display than in sending Jesus to pay the penalty for sin. A righteous, good judge must punish the guilty. He must punish the guilty. He can't turn a blind eye to it. The penalty must be paid. A person is guilty. They have to be punished. This pure, upright heart wants the best for others. Even in spite of that, his goodness motivates him to do something about it. His goodness toward us was shown in sending Jesus to pay the debt for us. He didn't have to. We didn't deserve it. Psalm 104 through 5, be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. It says goodness toward us, that he, that he, he, he sent the punishment on his son. He didn't have to. He did it because he is good. The examples, Jesus. Jesus exemplifies and, and personifies the very goodness of God Amen. by his coming to die for us, to pay our debt, yours and mine. He paid our debt. And the life that he lived before us to be the example for us to follow. What is a Christian? The little Christ, right? That's what we're to be. We're to be like Christ. So we're to follow his example. Everything he did was out of a, a pure, genuine love for people and, and an interest for their good. He didn't go and do things for his own benefit, right? When he healed the leper man in Luke 5, in, in chapter 5 of Luke, what does he tell him after he heals him? He says, go, tell no one. He didn't say, go and let everyone know who did this for you. Right? He didn't say, go and let, tell them that it was Jesus of Nazareth that who, who performed this miracle, that they should come see him. He said, go, tell no one. It wasn't for his own glory. He didn't seek his own glory in that way. He had another purpose. He always gave the credit to the Father. John 8, 28, he says, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. 
John 8, 50. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Jesus speaking of his Father in John 8, 29. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Right? Jesus always pleased the Father. God is only pleased when we do good, and so that means Jesus always did that which is good. Amen. Peter in Acts 10.38. In 10.38, he describes Jesus. He says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples who followed him around. He had firsthand access to how Jesus lived his life. He sums up all of Jesus' life as someone who went around doing good. He didn't seek to do good to get himself political influence. He wasn't seeking fame and fortune. He did good because he was good. You see it in the example I mentioned last week of the, the adulterous woman, remember? She was caught in adultery and they all wanted to stone her, right? Jesus is good. He's righteous, right? He is morally and ethically pure. But that motivated him to act in goodness toward this, this poor sinner. He didn't need to prove that he was good and, and she was bad. He wanted her good. For her to have a changed life. Not, you're not a good person. Your, your morals and your ethics are, are messed up. You disgust me. Can't even stand to look at you. It's not how he reacted to her. She knew that already. She already she knew the life that she lived, the mistakes that she had made. You didn't have to rub it in. He said, instead, he said, go, go. Sin no more. Don't do that anymore. Don't do that again. His righteousness didn't seek to crush her. It sought to heal her. Jesus is the perfect picture of the goodness of God. It's the example for all of us to strive for. God, Jesus, is both righteous and good. This goodness is what brings mercy to bear. This is the kind of, of goodness that Joseph had. You say, well, that was Jesus. You know, he's God. Well, Joseph had this goodness too. Joseph was a good man. You can read that. Matthew 1.19 says he was a just, he was a righteous man. He found out that his wife was pregnant with a child. He was devastated because he knew her character. How, how could this have happened? How could this have happened? How could she do this? He didn't yet understand that the Holy Spirit had done this. He didn't know what to do. He was a righteous man, so he had to do what was righteous. Could have stoned her. That would have had Old Testament support for him to stone her. Or betraying him. 
he had the moral high ground. No one would blame him. No one would or could blame him for divorcing her. Making an example of her. Publicly shaming her. No one would blame him. He was righteous. I mean, people would have expected him to do that, to protect his reputation. But his pure heart wouldn't, couldn't do that to her. Instead, he, he what? He planned to cancel the engagement contract privately. His being good didn't require showing how bad she was. As a matter of fact, his being good required that he didn't do that. His righteousness was tempered with his goodness. Because goodness comes from a good heart. How it is with God. It's how it is with Jesus. It's how it was with Joseph. It's how it should be with us. The thing is, we, we, all, we all probably know or will encounter those that we have the moral high ground with. Right? Go out into our world, it'd be easy. Easy for us to find somebody that we could have the moral high ground against. How, how will we behave toward them? With piety? Or with goodness? The fruit of goodness, the fruit of goodness has to do with good deeds that flow from a good heart, and we need to understand what the Bible tells us about the heart. Goodness in the heart. Good and evil both come from the heart. Good deeds flow from a good heart, and evil deeds from a wicked heart. Jesus said in Matthew, Matthew 15, 19. Matthew 15, chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. Evil deeds don't just happen on their own. Evil deeds don't just happen on their own. They spring from the heart. Right? Jesus said in, in Luke 6, Luke 6, 43 and 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. We read that verse earlier. In other words, our actions show us up for who we are. Our actions show who we are. We can, we can talk a good game, right? We can have all the buzzwords. We can speak in Christianese, right? But our actions will prove it. 
The first thing the Bible tells us about goodness in the heart is good and evil both come from the heart. Second, our hearts outside of Christ are desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17.9 Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? A lot of people think, well, I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. My heart is not that bad. Really, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Well, guess what? That's your heart talking. And your heart is deceitful above all things and, and desperately sick. What else do you expect it to say? The NIV translates the, uh, the, the phrase desperately sick in this verse as beyond cure. Beyond cure. In other words, our hearts are in terrible shape, and there's nothing that we can do about it. There's nothing that we can do about it. Romans 3, 10 through 12. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become Worthless. No one does good, not even one. Hearts are sick. They're desperately sick. The reason we don't do good is because our hearts are not good. Whatever you think about yourself, heart is not good. Fortunately, God does not save us because we are good, but because He is good. Our hearts outside of Christ are desperately sick, and that's a problem. Bad tree can't bear good fruit, neither can our bad hearts produce good deeds that are pleasing to God. That's B.C. That's before Christ. In order to do good deeds that are truly pleasing to the Lord, you need a new heart. You don't need heart surgery. You don't need to replace a valve. You don't need a bypass. You need a heart transplant. You need a whole new heart if you're going to be good. And that's our next point. God gives you a new heart when you trust in Christ. Praise God, that's exactly what God does when you trust Jesus as Savior. That's AC, after Christ. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will give you a new heart. Put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God God knew that our old hearts were incapable of doing good, so he offers us a new heart to replace our old one. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. Hallelujah. All things become new in Christ, including that old, deceitful heart of yours that could only produce evil. 
God gives you a new heart when you trust Christ. And now you can do good deeds that glorify God out of the goodness of your new heart. Once you've received your new heart through faith in Christ, there are several ways the Bible says that you can grow in goodness. First, we need to confess your sins and to seek to live holy. Psalm 51 is is David's prayer of confession to the Lord. Part of that confession of sin, David prays in verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That was his prayer. Create in me a pure heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Who was David? Man after God's own heart, right? Only God can create a new heart for us, and only God can renew our hearts as many times as we need it. That's the thing, right? Progressive sanctification. He renews that heart. He gives us a new heart, but that doesn't mean that we're automatically new. That we we no longer struggle with sin. David's prayer is one we should all continually pray. Verse John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and He will do it. He will help us to have a pure heart. Confessing sin leads to a pure heart. God forgives and purifies us. Confess your sins and seek to live a holy life for God. And then seek to glorify God in doing good works. Matthew, or Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Live such good lives among pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's why we're to do good deeds. So that it'll glorify God. What's different about them? They don't react like other people. There's something about them. They have have an inner joy, a peace. They're patient beyond what I could ever be. There's just a goodness about them. What what makes them that way? What? Oh, they're a Christian. Oh. We're created for good works. We're called to imitate God and, and not evil. We're told never to tire of doing what's right. Romans 12, 21 says, overcome evil with good. Galatians 6, 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. To all people. To all people. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We're to do good for, for those within the body. Fellow brothers and sisters. But we're to do good to all people, even those that we don't like. Even those who we deem don't deserve it. Guess what? You didn't deserve it either. 
The fruit of goodness is not just about being good, but doing good. Seek to glorify God by doing good works. And then we need to focus on things that are good and pure. Romans 12.9 says, Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. It's easy for us, especially now in the world that we're living in, to focus on the bad around us, right? We We can get so caught up in the evil. Allow that to take our focus. Cause us to become angry or, or bitter, petty and vindictive and, and depressed. Focus on things that are good and pure. Christ's love and the hope that is found there. Yes, there is evil all around us. But there is hope. There is hope in the gospel for all people. Even those desperately wicked people that you see out there. Don't don't let that rob you of your peace and your joy, your love. Use that motivation to reach them. The gospel message. There's hope for them. Your responsibility to share it. Focus on things that are good, pure. You will find yourself growing in goodness. And then we need to ask God to develop the fruit of goodness in our life. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is ultimately something that God does, not you. See, the thing is, is evil people are capable of doing good things, right? Evil people can do good things. Even even evil people can be kind and do what we would call good. But true goodness comes from a heart that is transformed by the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So ask God to develop His fruit in your life. Yield yourself to the sanctification process taking place within you. Walk and step with the Spirit. The human heart is is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. You need a new heart if you're going to grow in the fruit of goodness. Praise God you receive that new heart when you trust Jesus as Savior. But even after we receive a new heart, we will still struggle with the problem of indwelling sin. We will still... Who here... Who here still struggles with sin? Every every hand should go up, right? We all do. We must constantly be on guard, purifying our hearts out of reverence to God, confessing our sin, 
continually asking God to purify us from all unrighteousness. The goodness of your deeds depends on the goodness of your heart. So ask God to purify your heart, that you may be full of good deeds, that they will benefit those around you and bring great glory to God. Because that's what it's for. That's what the fruit of goodness is all about. Us growing to be more like Christ. Reflect Him to the world. Psalm 143.10 Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. May we all develop the same type of of goodness that God has toward us. Realize that, that goodness is not just your character, but it's something that your character does. Your hands and feet. It's not just your character, what your character does. Ask the Holy Spirit to inspire your behavior so that you may grow more like Jesus in your goodness toward others. You know, we talk about goodness the goodness of God, right? And it's hard to even put that into words to describe it. But you know it. You know the goodness of God, don't you? You've experienced the goodness of God. Amen. We need, we need to be known as the same thing. We need to have that same fruit within us so that when we interact with people, they feel that same thing. I don't know, there's just something about them. There's just something about the way they act, the way they behave, the way they treat me, the way that they speak. Goodness. We should be known for our goodness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let us show the rest of the world the goodness of God so they can experience the same thing for themselves. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we do come before you again incredibly thankful for your goodness toward us. Father, you have, have shown us goodness when we surely didn't deserve it. Father, you are holy and you are just and you are pure. But because of that, there is no evil within you and so everything that you do is is good. And you show us that goodness. You help us when we can't help ourselves. You you sent your son to die for us when when we we could not pay the debt. Thank you, Jesus, for your example of of goodness, self-sacrificial, not seeking glory for yourself, but to glorify the Father. May we follow your example. May we grow in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit of goodness. May our lives be marked by that fruit so that the world would, would see something different about us, that they would want to experience the same thing. May we reflect Christ. Father God, we pray that you would help us accomplish this by the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit, 
that our heart would be changed and, and purified, that we would continually seek to confess our sins so that our heart would be pure. Father, we pray that you would help us to do this for the glory of, of you and your Son. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.